Hi, and welcome to Dribble. Hello, our first ever episode of Drivel, and we are really excited to hear, for you to hear what we've got to say, even though, well, you may not be, but we're excited. <laughs> That's right, we're, we're your hosts, I'm Mo. And I'm O. Um, so what's Drivel all about, I hear you asking. Um, well, it's another one of those podcasts that talks about cars, motoring, and, and other kind of general automotive stuff. Um, well, I wouldn't quite say it's like any other, because I think we need to be clear uh, first and foremost, one of the, what we need to clear up straight away is um, we're just a couple of regular guys who have to be a bit obsessed with cars, just motoring, a, a little bit, the, you being the professor, a little bit more than I am, but um, with cars, motoring, petrol, combustion, um, and that's just uh, just as a, a pastime hobby. What we certainly are not are motoring journalists, professional drivers, professional talk show hosts road testers, mechanics, traders, racers, detailers, no. So this is where we differ from any other one, because we're just us. Yeah, and in some cases, we're not even good drivers, are we, are we? Well, certainly not on the certainly not on the go-kart track, where I've booked you every time we've been out, and so how you got your license, I don't know, but yeah. I, I, I honestly don't know what you're on about, but yeah, all, all of that's true. Look, we're just a couple of regular guys. Uh, we like to sit around and chat about cars uh, from ownership to kind of aspirations of stuff we, we, we'd like to own and drive one day uh, and, and observe kind of what we see around us in our, in our petrol obsessed world. And, and hopefully we'll, we'll be able to entertain you guys. Yeah. Alongside giving opinions, lots of them in my case, <laughs> yeah. plenty of them. So, uh, I, I, well, I'm not sure if I'm going to apologize, but if you're easily offended, um, stick some cotton wool in your ears. Yeah, and, and there's just just one point um, on that. You know, th- there will be opinions. I was going to give you uh, maybe a few more opinions than, than than I will, and and maybe give you some stronger ones as well. But the one bit of advice I'm going to give you right now is: um, do not ever confuse what we tell you as consumer advice. Um, for some crazy reason, you think that anything we're about to say in the next forty minutes or so is a good piece of advice, and you act on it. Please do not blame us. In fact, you can't, right? This is some kind of a disclaimer. I'm not sure what kind of court this is going to hold up in, but, but I'm sure it will in some court. We're telling you now we are not offering any consumer advice. And actually, the only advice I'm going to give you is don't listen to what we say. We're not experts. Just um, laugh with us or at us, whichever one's more convenient for you. Do you think you could you have a disclaimer for saying do not follow us? I told you not to follow us. Do not take us advice. Um, I think I think we've just done one. Have we just done one? Well, yeah. well, then I've known you a while, and that's probably the best piece of advice you've ever given. Anyone. There is there is a first for everything. There is there is, and speaking of first, as this is our first podcast, I think I think it'd probably be right. Well, not right, but I think it's probably best you tell us about your first venture or steps into cars, motoring, right? Yeah, becoming obsessed. Where, where I Become became obsessed the nerd that you are. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 um. It's a, it's a little, a little bit of a strange. It started when I was quite young, actually, and uh, I wasn't born into a, a petrol obsessed family or anything like that. Um, but I guess we, uh, me, me, and my 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 dad would, um, you know, kind of go to car auctions and things, and we'd accompany my uncle. My uncle was one of those guys who was, uh, I guess, he's a little bit like yourself. Though. He's uh, he's what I'd call a, a bit of a grease monkey. And is that and, sorry? Is that as a what did good auctions as traders or just well, let's buy a car from an auction? No, no, no. As consumers, you okay. know, we're, we're we're talking here in kind of the um, 
early to mid 90s and that was the way things were done you know you had your uh, your auto trader magazines uh, your bargain yes. pages magazines yeah. and you had car auctions that you would attend there was no uh, there was no ebay there was no facebook marketplace no, there certainly that. wasn't a, an auto trader app i mean hey friday you, ads there was one called friday ads wasn't there well the auto trader magazine would come out on a friday and i remember no thursday wasn't it Oh, actually, you might be right, and the bargain pages would come out. I mean, in the middle of the Friday bargain. Yeah, down here, I think it was called Friday ads or something. Yeah, I'm from your local takeaway. That's right. So (laughs) I'm from the Midlands, and in the Midlands, we had something called the bargain pages, and it had a motoring section, and it was released twice a week on a Tuesday and a Friday. And so, so there I was, a kind of, uh, you know, a a 10 ish year old, and I would, I remember getting on my bike and riding to the news agents first thing in the morning on a Friday and picking up a copy of the bargain pages or on a Thursday morning and going getting a copy of the the auto trader magazine and and, and that's where we'd look for cars or we'd go along to a to a car auction and one of my first memorable experiences was at a car auction mm-hmm. and what I noticed that I, I found myself doing we were looking for a, a replacement kind of family car um, for, for for our family and, and it was you know that I guess it was your your typical uh, Japanese saloon car, and I say typical Japanese Nissan Bluebird. Car. Yeah, well, yeah, that yeah. was <laughs> everyone had a Nissan Bluebird. Yeah, that was. Or the, or what was it? The E class was it an E class Mercedes back then? You got one in yellow. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just thinking, all I'm thinking is Citizen Khan. That was far too premium for <laughs> our family. We we weren't a Mercedes E class or a BMW. Actually, speaking a, of which, Birmingham, what did you have? Did you have the plank of wood in front of your curb to help you get up? No, no, no. We no, had a, oh, we had an actual driver. Oh, did you? Yeah, we, premium, we were, we, premium brummies. Okay. Yeah, we, we, we were premium, premium brummies looking for a Nissan Bluebird at the auction. Absolutely, yeah. And what I found that I would do is is kind of like I'd run straight to the back of the car, and at the back of the car, I would go and have a look at the badges. And I wouldn't. I'm not talking about who the manufacturer was or what the model was because I I kind of knew that. Even though most of these cars all had a an extremely similar silhouette, and I'm talking oh. by silhouette. You know, it was that it was designed by a ruler and Bluebird, Granada, Orion, I guess. The Orion was a little bit more curvy it's, than the rest, but it was those cars that I, I I'm sure everybody else used to draw as a child. Just you know? straight, yeah, exactly, just straight. With yeah, a, yeah, 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 yeah. And most and most saloons that were kind of designed, I guess, in the 80s and were being retailed at auctions in the in the 90s. As kind of lightly used family cars, yeah. all had that same same yeah. kind of design. Yeah. But even then, I could tell them apart. What I couldn't tell though was what toys it came with. Uh, and so I'd run straight to the back of the car and I'd take a look at the badges. And this was back in the day when, if it said one point six on the back, it's because it had a one point six liter engine in it. Um, yeah. But but the thing that I was more interested in, because my affair with I guess internal combustion hadn't begun at that stage. Mm-hmm. Um, I was much more interested in those other badges, the the the, the letters that were prefixed on the back, you know, ah, the, the L's or the LX so or, or the GLX, LHX or whatever. And yeah, yeah, was, yeah, there, yeah, there were all sorts, and um, I couldn't even begin to tell you what all that meant. I'm sure LX stood for luxury, and uh, you know, but some used GL and yeah. GLS, and yeah, yeah, yeah Ford used gear, yeah, yeah. Um, but but I'd go and have a look at that because it was really really easy to tell. Whether you were getting the the poor spec car that had a lot of blanked out buttons because it was just the L, or if you were going to get the GLX, version. is that what you were checking to make sure the old man was going for the proper spec out one? Well, yeah, I was going to be a passenger in this car. Yeah. I didn't want to have to wind Being down my own for windows. School and you wanted people to see. Listen, I've got an LHX, not an LH. 
Well, yeah, exactly, right? Could you imagine the shame? You, your, your, your man drops you off to school in a Nissan. I mean, first of all, he drops you off school in a Nissan Bluebird, but by the by, um, you get dropped off in school in a Nissan yeah. Bluebird, and he pulls up in it, and it's in a one point six L. And then that kid behind you, you know, the 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 kind of school that nobody nobody ever liked, and his dad would drop him off in a one point six GLX. My dad dropped me off in multicolored Rovers, Opals, no Manta- Mantana, Opal Mantana, Mantas, M- Mantas. Multicolored panels all the way around. Although now and again he would drop in a Merc and it'd be all right, but that didn't last very long. Yeah, it sounds like you're a lot fancier than I was. <laughs> yeah, not for very long though. But but that's actually where my obsession began, right? So I quite enjoyed that whole um, auction vibe, and I remember getting one piece of advice from my uncle, which was: under any circumstances, do not raise your hand. Anyway, <laughs> <was right. laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't play with your hair. Scratch your bit. Well, it probably never appeared back then, but. Don't scratch your head or anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, exactly, uh, you're stuck then. Exactly that. Yeah. So, so for any uh, any younger listeners that we have, for any listeners that we might have, I'll, I'll add to that. But for any younger <laughs> listeners we might have, this was the days before online auctions, and you didn't click buttons to to uh, bid for things. You would raise your hand in the air and let the auctioneer know that you wanted to bid for that car. So we firmly sat on our hands. <laughs> Yeah, there was a risk taking a kid back in them days, or anyone that was young in that days. It was, but yeah. I'd, I'll never understand in an auction why do they have to? Why can't they just talk normally? Why do they need to talk so quickly? I just don't get. It. Even to this day, they still do it, and I don't get it. It's it's a great point. I've got I've got a bit of a theory on this. I think it's because. Um, otherwise, anybody could do the job, and you can't just have anyone doing the job, can oh, you? Of course, you've got, you've got to... I mean, hitting a hammer down, and I mean that's that's difficult, isn't it? And well, yeah. just taking bids for people, and you know, spotting arms off and things like that—it's difficult, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I guess but... it is difficult when you're trying to. Um... <laughs> well, how difficult could it possibly be? Let, let's picture the scene. You're 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 the guy at the auction. You're the guy at the. Oh, I don't know what the with the gavel <laughs> at that's the it. front, right? And you're looking over the crowd. And you see, I don't know, an eight-year-old kid and he raises his hand. There's a special kind of stupid if you're going to take that kid's bid seriously. That's probably why they got the job. That may be why they got and the job, but they could also speak quite quickly. So I'm not really sure what kind of skill level you need to have in order to become an auctioneer. Um, you, you probably need to talk very, very quickly to a point where nobody can understand what it is that you're saying, apart from the word sold at the end when you bang your hammer down. But also, you're not able to spot the difference between a child and a grown adult. I think going back, I think you, I think you got it there where you said not being able to understand what you said. So if you think about it now these days, you go to, before you even get to an auction, you've got all the data you need on the car. You've got pictures. You've got a condition report. You've got assured reports, RAC reports. You can go online. You can check the MOT history. You can do a HPI check to say anything. Back in those days. I'd be surprised even if they gave you a printout of the vehicle specs at the time. So you were just literally, I think, having to look at the car. Maybe, I assume you'd be able to start it back then. So I reckon the reason they do that, and to this day is an old tradition, where they probably did it to confuse the customers, to try and get some of those cars out of there, where they couldn't quite understand what you were saying and where you bid. Yeah, but this is where I shone. This is this was my limelight as a 10-year-old. What were you the interpreter? Oh, no, 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 I wasn't in I wasn't shining that bright at 10 years old. Uh, but what I was able to do was to say, I don't need a spec sheet of that car. All I need to know is whether it's an Al, an Alex ah, or a GLX. And yeah, I could yeah. then turn to my dad and say, that one's got electric windows. Yeah. That one's got a power aerial. Don't worry about the engine aerial. smoking or run, not running. Don't worry oh, about no, it. We've got all the goods and toys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. This, this one comes with a velour interior in blue. Ooh. And stuff like that. And, and that's where my kind of obsession so where grew. Where did you do your research in that though? Because I suppose the internet wasn't, the internet wasn't around. 
No, I, 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 did my, I did my research by reading through used car ads. Oh, and picking up on what, what, what specs were in what badge and what badge. Exactly that. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. And, and, and again, you know, for, for those of us who are old enough to remember how the adverts were written, they were written in a series of three-letter acronyms, you know? P-A-S-C-L, E-W, E-M. ABS, yeah, ABS. And I bet the ads were a lot shorter back then as well because they obviously didn't have that much technology. So they're just like, I suppose the most you could put, I don't know, PS of power steering and power windows maybe? Yeah, PS of power steering, EW for electric windows, your CL was your central locking, and so on and so forth. And yeah, you know, you're probably limited to about 160 characters. But then as teenagers, we all used to kind of like text our entire lives. 160 characters too many. (laughs) Well, yeah, maybe. Uh, Maybe. So so yeah, that's kind of where I I learned specs. And then as as the obsession grew and I started uh, buying and collecting car magazines, Whilst the articles would interest me, and it was always great reading about the kind of latest offering from Maranello or uh, what Porsche's uh, new variation of 911 could achieve on a track um, from the road tester, which was always great, I would always find myself flipping to the back of the magazine first uh, and just kind of spending a little bit of time studying the statistics on vehicles. And and, and again, anybody familiar with uh, a Top Gear magazine um, from from back in the day would we'll, we'll be able to tell you that you'd be able to go and you take a look at all the new cars for sale. They'd give you an, uh, an out of 10 score rating. But then for each model, they'd list what the standard extras were and what the optional extras were as well. Mm-hmm. So it was a combination of kind of studying those used car um, adverts and, and then also taking a look at magazines when that became part of my life. And, and that's where it kind of started, understanding spec and specification of cars. And I genuinely, genuinely enjoyed um, helping uh, initially my dad, but then as my siblings grew older and they started driving, helping them find used cars. And it was a, I loved it. I, I loved going to auctions. I loved going to check out a used car, whether that be at a trader or a private sale. Um, and just kind of really understanding the depths and the specs of it all. And I'm talking so passionately and you guys are probably all sat there listening, thinking, wow, that guy's a loser. And you're right. I am a loser. Sweet, but if you're listening to this, yeah. then I'm hoping that either you're a bit of a, a loser like me in terms of uh, a car nut, or actually you're just here to, to laugh at me or because I, I begged you to listen to our first episode because we need the listeners. Either way, I'm really happy and appreciative of the support. We need five stars. You don't have to listen. Just give us five stars even if you don't listen to it. Well, there is yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And is that and is that the point when you realise I'm a nerd and put your glasses on? Um, coincidentally, yeah, I think I had my eye test when I was probably about 11 or 12 and found out that yeah, I had bad eyesight, hereditary bad eyesight. Everybody in my family wears glasses. Uh, so yeah, on came the glasses. They kind of suited my uh, my nerd persona, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Um, it it all just went from there. And and I grew and evolved into this uh, this petrol head, this um, car obsessed loon who is um, now recording his very first podcast episode to talk about this kind of stuff. Actually, tell you what, speaking of badges, though, I bet back in the day, actually, back in the day, badges. I don't, I don't know if they were simpler to understand or not because. LHX or LX, I don't know really what it stood for, but if you look at the cars now these days, I mean, I do not, I, I haven't got a clue what a badge means on the back of a car now. I mean, I think we had this conversation before, we were talking about the Audis now, where they're 25, 35, and I think my comment to you was, oh, it must be a 2.5, well, that's a 3.5. You're like, no. I said, oh, it must be 250 brake then. And then you pointed out what, on the back of an A1. And then I was at 35, I was like, I just don't get it. I just do not understand where this color, where this it's not color combination, where this naming thing is coming from now. Do you know my, my first experience of it? So I'd spotted um, a, I think it was an A8 or a Q7, 
And on the back of it, it had 50 TDI, which I misread as 5.0 TDI. And it was a, as a newly registered car, I think it was a 2017 or 18, whenever this, this first kind of happened, which was only a couple of years ago. And I can't tell you how excited I was because you know what? I genuinely thought, I genuinely thought the VW Audi group had reintroduced the five liter 10 cylinder turbo diesel engine that were featured in the Touareg, that absolute torque monster of an engine. <laughs> And I thought, you know what? Ma- it, it was an, an A8 or a Q7. So, so, so oh, if they yeah, were going to introduce yeah, yeah, yeah. it, you know, it's likely that they put it into yeah, a big car A8 like that. So I was, I was really, really excited. And I was actually excited at the prospect of as soon as I stop, I'm going to get on my phone and I'm going to go and research that and say, have they actually reintroduced that engine? This is w, it's not the W, is it? Um, no, no, this isn't the W engine. This was a, this was a V10, V10 oh, TDI yeah. engine. Um, then my research led me to uh, the conclusion that you've just drawn, which is um, that the, the 50 didn't have anything to do with engine capacity. It was power output. 500 brake. We'll have that. It wasn't 500 brake, unfortunately. Uh, I, I can't even begin to tell you what I think it is because the, the way that it works um, is, is they section the, uh, the, the power bandings off. Uh, and it ranges from, uh, I think the smallest number that they do for power banding is a 30. I'm not sure if they do a 25, but they do a 30. Mm-hmm. And uh, initially when this concept was, was um, came about, they, they would take that to 70. And the 70s were going to be for their RS models. Now, I think they saw some sense because they haven't bothered doing that. And the RS models are just the RS cars. They weren't going to replace the RS with the number 70, were they? I, I don't know what the plan oh. was, but, but when I initially read kind of, you know, what was going on here online somewhere. And I, I, I can't remember the article. It, it had reference that, you know, the, the 70 was going to be reserved for the higher, more higher yeah. powered RS vehicles. And thankfully, they haven't done that. So the S and the RS cars still remain as the S and the RS cars. Um, but they do go up to like kind of 50. They, uh, but they go up in increments of five, don't they? they go I'm up sure I've seen the 35. Because I was about yeah. to say, because then you've got the S models. But then before you even get to the S, you've got like a whole range of... Oh, you've, you've, cars, you've, so. you've, got, you've got a whole range of these... Uh, and I'm convinced that the actual choice of engines is probably minimal. Uh, let's, so, take, let's take an A3 as, as an example. Yeah. Um, you've, you've probably got, in terms of petrol engines, you've probably got a choice of a three-cylinder petrol and a four-cylinder petrol and probably a four-cylinder diesel. And I would imagine that they were... Capacity. Well, yeah, but, but, but let's, let's ignore capacity for a second because I think they're all going to be largely the same. The three-cylinder is probably likely to be a one-litre engine with a, with a turbo of some kind. So, yeah. The, so let's, the so four-cylinder engine is, is likely to be, uh, I don't know, a, a one... It's it's highly unlikely that it's a two-litre, but it may well be because I do have a two-litre TFSI engine in old, uh, in old money. So normally... So let's say for people as dumb, plain as I am, so they've got a one-litre... So we're talking A3 here. So they probably have a one-litre. They'll have a 1.6, I think, you reckon? Maybe, yeah. And a one eight and then a two, yeah? No. No, I don't think that they 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 would, and and, and actually, um, this is uh, th- this is where the confusion lies because you've got this range of thirty, thirty five, maybe forty, forty five, yeah. etc. But all it is is largely the same engines, whether it's a three or a four cylinder, in different states of tune. Ah, oh, yes, because that's what it's all about now. And that is what yeah. it's all about now. And and that's using the same engine and just putting. Oh yeah, we'll detune this. We'll open this a little bit. We'll open that one up a bit more. Yeah. Now, could you imagine 10-year-old me at the auctions running around to the back of a car and then finding <laughs> 30? And then there's one next to it that says 35, another one next to it says 40. It would have blown my mind because I couldn't tell you the difference between any of that. I'd love to know how they come up with it. If, if, you, if any of you work for Audi in any capacity whatsoever, 
you can anonymously contact us. Details will be at the end. Please explain this naming system. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure how anonymous the contact system is, but that's fine. We're not going to dob you in. We don't know oh, anybody, yeah, so yeah. Uh, it's not like we're going to get you in trouble with your boss or anything. See, that's, that's, why for me, that's why for me, BMWs, to this day, nice and easy, nice and simple. Keep the badging simple. CI, Sport, SE, job done. Off you go. Yeah, I'm not sure that that's true anymore. You may be referring to BMW in its what I like to call heyday, when all the chassis had E numbers associated to them. Um, not the additives you find in food, by the way. Uh, they're very, very different things. But all the chassis were E numbers, uh, and the engine badges represented the size of the engine. There you go, simple. I mean, yeah. Admittedly, most of my BMW chassis have been, well, all of them have been E. Yeah, so uh, let me just ask you a couple of questions then. When we talk about the, the, the latest crop of cars, so the, the latest BMW 3 Series, very common car, very good yep. car, very capable car. Um, I've driven a couple of them, I, I really like them, great technology on the inside. Let's talk about the engine and the badges on the back for a second. Yeah, let's go. So a BMW 330i, now this is... Three this... litre. Uh, three litre. Are you sure about that? Of course. Yeah, no, that's not true. The 330i is a two-liter engine. It's a four-cylinder, two-liter petrol engine, uh, and it's turbocharged. And the reason it's called a 330i is because that two-liter turbocharged engine is capable of putting out the same power output as the three-liter naturally aspirated engines that went before it. That so makes zero sense. It makes about as much in, sense in as Audi's back. naming convention. So now your uh, your golden boys at BMW are not so great, are they? Um, the M340i, what engine would you expect that to have in it? Wait, is that the real M? Is it a real M or is it a what, three series with a bit of sprinkle fairy dust, M fairy dust? It's, it's a bit of M fairy dust. It's not the real M. The, 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 the so these are their S. These are, so Audi have the S and the RS. So these M340s is the equivalent of an S, right? Yes, correct. Yeah. So the M340i, what engine would you expect that to have? I want to say 3.4, but that really wouldn't make sense. But it's got to have a 3-litre plus, doesn't it? Well, it's a 3-litre turbo. Yeah, so it, it, it is. But the, the point is, in, in old money, you know, if you saw a 340i, you would go, wow, they've put a 4-litre oh, engine. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. They yeah, put yeah, a 4-litre yeah, engine yeah, into, yeah, into yeah. a 3-series, um, which which they did for the uh, the E90 M3. If anybody was wondering if they ever did a 4-litre, they did. Uh, V8. Oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah, only yeah, V8 M3 they ever did. Um, but no, 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 no. So, so actually... This, um, I don't know, this, oh, I don't want to call it a disease. That sounds a little bit too strong, but this, uh, this kind of uh, marketing takeover of, of badging and, uh, power output designation, uh, it is taking over. Um, and I think we're not too far off from it becoming a point where, you're not really going to know what's awesome. under the bonnet of a car. And, and I think we're and already think, getting to that point. You think that's why they're doing it though? Yeah, because if because I if you think about, sorry, if you think about it, most cars now broadly look the same as the other models. And so if you look, if you think about three, five, four, fives, whatever BMW have now introduced, and you think about the Mercs going from the C's, the E's, they kind of broadly look similar, just slightly bigger. Yeah, they've all got Audi syndrome. So Audi yeah. went through a phase in the 2000s where um, uh, I, I, and I'm sure there was a, a popular TV show that mentioned this, where they seem to take all of their saloon cars, run them through a photocopier and just pick different sizes of, of magnification. And that's how they launch their new models uh, yeah, and, and their new designs. 
a little bit like Porsche with the 911, although yeah, there are some differences in generation. And, and, and you're right, it's, it's starting to become that way across the board, really. The 3 Series mm. looks like the 5 Series, which looks like a smaller version of the 7 Series. And I'm sure before long, there'll be a 9 yeah. Series because, you know, niche filling. Yeah, and I, and I think that's probably the reason why they... Because remember back in the day, if you were driving a 330 and someone pulled up next to you in a 318 or something like that, you'd be like, mate, what have you got there? It's a, that's, a, that's, that's a pauper spec. You felt good about it. Arrogantly, or you know, while you were young and I, but you felt good when you had like the top of the range one. Yeah, you, you, you're right, and it was a discernible difference. You could tell uh, that you know, even if both cars were, um, and, and I think this was before BMW used the M Sport variation. You know, if you had a, an E46 330i Sport uh, yeah. or an E46 318i Sport. You know, they may look a little bit different. There was like different wheel choices yeah, available. Yeah. The, 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 you could tell by the number of exhausts on them, things like that. There may have been some subtle suspension ride height differences, but but you could tell from the outside. Um, you know, nowadays you could you could pick up. And again, that sounds like I'm picking on Audi, and if uh, it's because I am uh, Audi, if you're listening, <laughs> I am picking on you a little bit. It's a stupid naming convention, but you know, you can you can now pick up a. A bottom of the rung, and I say bottom of the rung from an engine capacity, Audi A3, you know, kind of three cylinder, one litre engine with a turbo. And, and by the way, if that's your choice, then that's great, right? You're looking for a car that's got yeah, a bit yeah, of space of and it's got some economy and efficiency, then fine, by, by all means. Um, but it's got, you know, it's dressed in uh, S-line trim or what, uh, you know, Vorsprung or whatever the, the latest top line trim is that they now call it. And it's got all the bells and whistles. Black and other than the fact it hasn't got an S3 uh, badge on it, it kind of looks pretty much like like an S3 bar, bar one or two tiny things that most people wouldn't spot. And and again, it's that I guess for the for the average consumer, that's very very appealing, and that's great. You know, I can buy a car that's extremely economical, that's uh, that, that gives me the space, but also it looks looks the part. Looks the part. Yeah, great. So yeah. so I get why they're doing it, but for, I guess for a purist and a petrolhead like me and and like yourself, though. It's just deeply disappointing, isn't it, really? It's heartbreaking. I tell you what that will do, though. It will stop the absolute... It will stop the stupid lookalikes. You know when people buy... Let me buy a 3 Series E46 and I'm going to make it look like an M3. I'm going to spend all that money on it to make it look like something it's not. And as soon as someone in a Ford Fiesta pulls up next to me, they're going to dust me. Or let me buy an E39 525... And let me put the M5 kit on it and put the M5 wheels on it. And I'll only, I'll leave the exhaust. It's like, I cannot stand lookalikes. This is a bit of an off topic, but I just cannot stand people who do lookalikes. You know, you want to put some nice rims on there? Put some nice rims on there. You know, you're a tinty or whatever, but don't make it look like something it's not, especially when you haven't got the power under the hood. I take your lookalikes and I raise you fake badging because for me, that is far, far worse. Oh, I, I, I think we're going to have to come back to fake badging because that is a complete... And I know me and you are avid fake badge exposers. Um, but I think we'll have to come back to that for another day because then that's... Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll hold on to that point and we'll come back to that on the, on the next episode on we, fake badging. We will, absolutely. But, um, I mean, I've spoken a little bit about kind of where my obsession began uh, and, and, and where it's taken me. What, what about you? What's your... What's your most memorable car experience? What's oh. one of those cars that you kind oh. of you can never forget driving? And you memorable wish you could drive cars. it again. Yeah, I think I've had. I've probably. Also, you know, I had Mora. I had the seven series, the E thirty eight. We'll come to that. He names his cars, ladies and gentlemen. He names them. <laughs> those in the know will know. Um, 
But if I'm going to say memorable, enjoy, it's got to be the Rover 220 Turbo. And now that's where we're just going to get drones of people flocking to this podcast now. Because the Rover 220 Turbo, it is the most underrated car in in the world. People just... So I was never, I was never like... Sort of into the badging and name and stuff like that. I just, I just enjoyed my mechanics and and if something didn't work, I wanted to fix it. When no, why didn't work in there? And I think I was about what was I? I was eight, nineteen, twenty. So early, early two thousands. The early part of your driving career. The, oh yeah, very early. I part say driving part. career. Yeah. Is, uh, <laughs> well, his his numerous uh, close calls with death. Yeah. And 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 those in blue, but we won't go into that. Um, <laughs> and I remember I saw my mate pulled up one, in, pulled up in one in a in a in a two one six Rover Coupe at the time, and I looked at it and I thought, you know what? So this was specifically the coupe body shape. Oh, specifically the coupe. So the two the two twenty coupe and the eight hundred coupe, they were. I mean, you get the six hundreds were good cars as well. And my dad used to have a Rover Sterling eight hundred Rover Sterling, which was a lovely car back in the time. G Reg G eight five XME. We always say excuse me when we see it coming. Um, G-Reg, that would make it a 1989. 89 slash 90. Yeah, yeah. Had that. Yeah. And that was, that was pre the slightly sort of moldy shape. It was like quite pointy and stuff. And like this that. was also back in the good old days when there was only one new Reg a year. Yes. So, oh. you, so you could hold on to your bragging rights for you a full 12 months. For a full 12 months rather than, oh no, someone's got the, the one later, which is so annoying. Um, but surprisingly, oh no, no, it's actually dad had the Rover before I did. So I think actually, I think that's where my love for Rover came in. Dad had the Sterling. Hang on, sorry. We, we got to stop. You're, I know we're talking about kind of memorable cars. You just said the words love and Rover in the same sentence. Oh, hell yes. I, Rovers, I love, honestly. If I could have, if I had a farm and I had space, I would just, I would just buy Rovers and put them up there. And I'm not talking the 25s in the cities. I mean the proper Rovers, the 200s, the 600s. 800s. You said at this point, if this was a YouTube video, you'd be able to see our facial expressions. O is grinning. Biggest grin I've seen on him in a long time. Oh, I, on really, the other hand, oh, am wondering why I chose to record the podcast. Oh, really, not really. Our, our listener levels have just shot up, mate. They've just doubled. Okay? Because they know this man's talking. So, so we've gone from two listeners to four listeners. Yeah. Amazing. Well, well done. Two, we're going to be us that are going to be listening to it later on again. So <laughs> we've just got them on the side at the moment. But yeah, it was, it was, you know what? It was, and, and this was, I think that was in the era, maybe just after the Ford, the Ford eras in the Escorts and the XR two eyes and the XR three eyes, the Fiestas, um, and you know what? It was a genuine alternative to them. To them. So when I when I saw the two one six, I thought, you know what? That's a nice looking car. He had it in the um, they used to call it the um, the Tarty Blue. Um, but then I looked at it and I started reading about them and I realised they do a two twenty turbo version. And this is a twenty year old guy, and they were they were I think at the time I must have paid. Three grand for it, you know. If you could find one now, it's probably worth a lot more than that. Oh, if you oh, if you get the thing is, there's not many of them about now, and the people that have them are people that are like me. They genuinely love them. They hold on to them. They look after them. I mean, if you just look and still look in the groups and the forums, people are you know restoring them, respraying them, nut and bolt restoration. They're worth. You'd have to you 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 know you you've got to pay some what most other people would, what you would call silly money. To get yourself a Rover 220 Turbo Coupe. Yeah, anything over about £28 is probably silly money for a Rover, in my yeah, opinion. You're showing, you're showing your ignorance again. <laughs> um, but yeah, found one. First, I've had a couple of them. The first one was British Racing Green, Cream Leathers. Was, oh, I, just, I used to love it. And you know what? It was back in the day 
when cars were they were kind of relatively level in terms of obviously we're not talking about take away your M3s but your sort of average cars that, that were attainable a 2 litre turbo which is kicking out 200 brake standard with a few mods here and that day it was easily you could easily tune it to about 240 250 without having to do any internals and in that kind of you, you, you're ready you, to be fair you're, you're keeping up with Porsche Boxsters Porsche Boxsters not Porsche Boxster S's but Porsche Boxsters and your sort of standard Subarus and then back in those days that was a lot to do that was a lot to yeah and, and this was back in the day when I mean, there's a reason for it, but cars were a lot lighter, uh, probably because they only had half an airbag and um, very other little safety equipment. One wheel had ABS. Yeah, one, one wheel had it. Well, if it was a Rover, no wheels probably had oh, ABS because it wasn't working. Yeah, speaking of ABS, I remember once when I changed, I bought a, I bought a, um, th- there was a crack in the underfloor on the on the Rover Cooper that I had. So I started looking for another chassis and I thought, you know what, I'll get um, a black one came up. And I always wanted a black Rover 216. It was black or the charcoal grey. Oh, I had a charcoal grey 216 actually to start with. Um, and I went to try, I took the end, I went to transplant the engine and put it into the, into the black chassis. Did all that, got the engine up and running, was running sweet. Went to test drive it, brakes wouldn't work. <laughs> so every time I hit the brakes, it wouldn't go on, wouldn't go on then, <laughs> like a horrible grinding. And my God, a month. Two months and the car's ready there, it's good to go, ready to run, interiors all in there and that brakes <laughs> like that. And I remember once actually testing, I didn't want to take it on the road too far, so I backed out of my parents' driveway, went <laughs> backed, backed out. <laughs> we just had an extension and everything done, so the garage was all redone and that. I'm sensing there was some more housework to follow after this little incident. <laughs> backed out of the driveway, I thought I'll keep it safe, I won't take it on the road. Backed out of the driveway, put my foot down a little bit, go forward in the driveway, test the brakes, <laughs> straight into the garage. It wouldn't be so bad if it was just the door, but I've got the frame, the side door, the frame, all that as well. Nothing like for for great. Luckily, the damage wasn't obvious. And then my brother, being the grass that he is, decided to phone up the builder who'd done the work to us and said, listen, my brother's just crashed his car into the garage, into the wall. Can you come and check? <laughs> so he checked one Great. day while I just love brothers he checked one day while I was at work and the cheeky bugger put a note for the door saying look the door seems fine but tell him to get rid of that heap of crap I still got the note with me somewhere somewhere today mm-hmm. somewhere today and that but so and I couldn't figure out what was going on so I was and there's only so much you could check and there was anything there and then eventually I, re- I had some spare uh, CV joints in the in the in the garage and that and for some just by accident, I took off one of the wheels and stuff. And just I, by accident, you took off a wheel. That sounds very much like a rover thing to do. Like by accident, the wheel fell off. I did it to check. To, to, I don't know to look at something. I can't remember now. And as I was taking it off, I looked at the ABS ring. Looked at the ABS ring on there, and I just happened to look at the, a, the, the CV joint in my hand that had. And the you ABS were shocked ring. that this car came with ABS. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you're? Yeah. That after that initial thing, I was looking. And I thought that doesn't quite seem right. This ABS ring looks different to that ABS ring. Jacked her up, took all the wheels off, looked around at all the ABS rings. Her. So he not only does he name his vehicles, he gives them genders as well. Carry on. Well, I don't want to... Saying it would be disrespectful to the Rover Mark. So jacked her up. <laughs> to the entire Mark. The rear, the rear, <laughs> the rear ABS wow. rings were different to the fronts. So I looked at and the ones that I had in my hand were the same as the rears. So I knocked off the ABS rings from the front, knocked off the ones from the CV joint I had in, Put it in, mate. She was gone. 
I'm breaking perfectly. Apart from when the wheel's locked up because you removed all uh, ABS functionality. No, no, I replaced, I replaced the rings, sorry. Oh, you replaced I, the rings. The replace, so the rings, so this, it was a rolling chassis that I'd got. Yeah. So it had the, the, the rims on there, but it was a, it was a newer, it was like a 98 one. And by that time they'd stopped doing the 220 turbo and it's the VVC engines. So it obviously changed the, the, the brakes and the, and the ABS ones on there. So the ABS ones from the front and back were conflicting with each other. So whether it's saying I don't have brakes or what, but it was the tooth, the teeth were wrong on the ABS ring. I've got, I've got quite a funny uh, story uh, about the Rover 220 Coupe, the Tomcat as it was called. Tomcat, yeah. Uh, so well, the FDHs will come on to that another time. I have no idea what you just said, but okay, sure we will. Um, so so uh, when I was at secondary school, there was a, a teacher of ours, a PE teacher. PE teachers were weird at the best of times. Uh, apologies to any PE teachers, but you, you know you're a bit weird if, if you choose to teach PE I enjoyed my school. PE teachers. That's probably because you weren't very sporty then. Uh, no, this is true. Um, and this PE teacher, uh, he had a, a couple of Rover 220 Coupe turbos as well. Uh, and I'll flip uh, I'll skip past to the to the interesting part of the story uh, much much later on way after we left school um, it, it came to light that this teacher got uh, fired from his job and went to court for doing some stuff that's not quite above board and legal and definitely frowned upon if you're a teacher so I'm not saying that all Rover Coupe was it, it wasn't correlated there was it it, 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 it no. wasn't it wasn't correlated and it was alleged um but but let's just say, um, yeah, it's, don't tie yourself with the same brush as all Rover owners and drivers. Let, let's just let's just leave it at that. You can't tie the Rover with that brush. He just happens to he just happens to have a good taste in cars and uh, questionable taste in um, you, other people and you how you behave been, around them. You ever been to Santa Pod? Raceway? No, I haven't. No. Go to Santa Pod and see the amount of Rovers that are burning up and down that six twenty Ti's actually. When you say burning up, are you talking that they're No, been left they're on... not on fire. No, <laughs> burning up the racetrack, the circuit. I'm taking you to Santa Pod Ooh. and I'll take you to the next Rover meet so you can appreciate Rovers. Great. Yeah, I get to meet all um, nine, ten of the oh, Rover owners left in the back UK. Back in the day, there was about eight of us just in Reading alone. Hey, oh, yes. That's in Reading alone. In Reading, you're, you're talking about Reading as though it's a small village with 15 people in it. <laughs> <laughs> and this is back in the day, back when Rovers were readily available and a, a, a popular car choice for the average family. And there were eight, a whole eight of you as Rover owners. Listen, it was the last British, it was the last British mark. What have we got left now? Nothing. Really, it's true, and and that's sad. In in, in that we it's don't very, really have any, um, you know, uh, I guess UK manufacturing. We've got the JLR Group, who've recently been going well, through some some difficulties and some trouble. They're manufactured in the UK, but it's not a you know. It's, Rover was the last, was the last of the true British British owned, British made, British produced. You know. That's what yeah. I, mean, I love. It. I love. It. I love British engineering and British motoring. Yeah, no, the, the, there's there's a, there's a lot to be said for that. Nostalgia. Uh, it's a lot of nostalgia. I guess now it's nostalgia. Even but even though now, like I said, if I someone gave me the opportunity to have one, I take. I'm I'm still on the lookout for an 820 Vitesse coupe. If anyone's got one, let me know. And the Tomcat. Yeah, cool. And if um, hey, if you need me to borrow the six pound fifty to buy it, just let me know. Oh, I will. I will. <laughs> <laughs> probably need a trailer more than the £6.50 yeah exactly I mean there, there is something to be said though for co- kind of classic cars and nostalgic cars um, because I'll tell you what there is uh, something that I've observed I observed it a little while ago but but very recently it's been um, quite annoying and it's been a particular bugbear of mine and that is something that would never have been available on a Rover 
which is keyless go. Now, no, no, I'm going to be specific oh. here. I'm not talking about keyless entry in keyless go. I'm talking about those cars that require you to, and uh, BMW, I'm looking at you here because you, you guys introduced this on the, um, the, the one of your, the, the, the three series that followed the E90. I think it was the uh, F10, uh, maybe. I think it was the two series. Or the, F, series as well. uh, the F80. Sorry, it was, I think it was the F80. Um, where you've got to take the, uh, the key out of your pocket and you've got to press a button to unlock the car and you get in the car and you haven't got to put the key in any slot or any hole. And you've got to put it back in your pocket because it's got to be in the vehicle with you. And then you start the car. Who in their right mind thought, I know what we'll do. We'll introduce the convenience of keyless go, which is great. By the way, you can keep the key in your bag or in your yeah. pocket or, or wherever it might be. You don't have to get the key out and you can, it will sense if the key's in the car and you can start the car. And it's really, really smart. We won't get into how easy it is to steal such vehicles. Yeah. And by the way, if anyone listening, bad. Don't steal cars. Bad, bad, bad. Um, but yeah, you know, you introduce that level of uh, driver convenience. But what you're going to do is you're going to go, yeah, but I tell you what, we don't want it to be too convenient for them. So we will inconvenience them by making them get the key out of their pocket, out of their bag to unlock the car, to get into the car and then have to stick it back in their pocket. What makes it even worse, particularly with BMW, and that's why I'm picking on them at the moment, there's not even anywhere natural to put the key. And it's not like the key's small or discreet these big horrible massive tv remotes they are like tv remotes yeah and 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 they're quite you know they're they're not the most attractive things and they're big bulge in the pocket as well maybe you know females or people who carry bags don't have this issue but there's nowhere to put this key so do you know where i end up putting the key whenever i drive one of these things in the cup holder and you know what that means do you know what i can't then put in the cup holder cups or bottles or drinks a lot of things they do for convenience aren't actually convenient. No, and it's really, really annoying. It, it, it is. I've, I've had a couple, and they are the, the size. It's just the size of the sheer size of them is ridiculous. I, the, the, I mean, why? It's the concept of it, and I, and, and and I remember when I first, uh, the first time I, I I drove a three series that had this type of key mechanism. It was a, it was a higher car, a borrowed car. I can't remember, but it wasn't my own car. Yeah. Right. Um, so I had the key and like fine, kind of, kind of, I realized by looking at the key that it, it wouldn't fit into any kind of a slot yeah. or anything. Yeah. Right. So I expected it. So I just had the key in my pocket. I assumed it was a keyless uh, system anyway. Yeah. So I went up and I pulled the driver's door and nothing happened. Oh, okay. Bit odd. Held the key closer to it, made sure my pocket was kind of pressed against the vehicle. Open the door. No, it didn't happen. Right. Okay. I'll take the key out and open the button and, and press the button. Maybe this isn't a keyless car. Pressed the button, got in the car, sat down. Where's the key go? Now jabbing at random yeah, bits yeah, of plastic, yeah. as you do. Yeah, yeah. Didn't go anywhere. And I can't tell you, within five seconds of me using that system, I thought, oh, this is massively inconvenient, yeah. which just makes me question the people who I'm hoping spent more than five seconds designing this when they were launching the new generation of 3 Series. Did they not sit there? Did they not think? Did they use the system? Well, whether they used it or not, come on. Keyless yes. go without keyless access. You are it's it's oh god it just because keyless access is a me. thing, isn't it? Keyless access is a thing. So why would you not why would you do one and not the other? And it's not like keyless access technology wasn't around before. Um I, I remember on a 2006 Audi A8. Now, yes, of course, a flagship model, so it's going to have all the toys. Yeah. But the technology was available. I had a 2006 yeah, yeah. Audi A8, and it had keyless entry and keyless go. And it worked perfectly. You, you had the key in your pocket. You walked up to the car. Open, you yeah. pressed a little button on the door handle, and it would unlock the car. And you'd open it. you get in. 
The key hadn't moved if it was in your pocket, if it was in your bag, if it was in your coat, wherever it was, didn't really matter. As long as it was nearby and you get in, you press the start button and the car started. And you know what was really great about that system? That in the event that the keyless would stop working because, hey, Audi, German, mm. engineering, electronics, they're going to mm. fail. Um, and as it's an A8, cost you a lot of money to mm. fix. The key was actually a traditional key. So in the event that that stopped working, unlock you could press door. a button to unlock the door, you could flip out the metal mm. blade of yeah, the key, yeah, yeah. you could put it in the ignition and you could start the car traditionally as well. Now that, that is a design and engineering department that really put some thought into it. BMW? No, not so much. And for that reason, I'm not sure I like you anymore. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they're going to tweet them. Yeah, yeah, them yeah, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll tweet them. Actually, and I'm sure they'll get my tweet. They, they, they will reply, actually. Hey, we're, now we're talking rant, rants. Actually, they will reply. I remember my first... my first. I don't know. I'm, I'm talking about technology that they launched in like 2012. Uh, so they probably don't give a toss about my opinion on something that they launched eight years ago. Well, I, and that's been widely accepted because it's not like people stopped buying the 3 Series. Well, to be fair, BMW is... It, it, it runs thanks to the sheep that are out there. Yeah? Let's be honest. I mean, BMW relies on sheep. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually went and bought a 4 Series that has this same stupid, really, really annoying technology. And do you know what I do? I just get frustrated every time I use the car. Oh, but I put up with it silently, apart from now, because someone's giving me a microphone, so I'm allowed to vent and then hoping that the uh, the two listeners we had at the start of the show haven't switched off. Case in point. There we go. Sheep. <laughs> I don't need to go any further. But what I will say is I remember I, I first got in, and I'm sure other, other manufacturers do this, but my first intro into this was BMW and it really annoyed me. I had a one series where, where I used to work before as a company car and that, and it had... You had to press the clutch to start the car. Now, first of all, apparently it's a safety feature. If you're too stupid to start the car without it being in gear or whatever, you shouldn't be driving, okay? Those kind of features are not needed. And I'll tell you why. You get up in winter, it's freezing cold. What do you do to your car before you go anywhere? I'm guessing you try to maybe start it and warm it up. Start Is that what you're getting at? Now... If you have to press the clutch to start it, what do you have to do? You've got to get into it. Into a freezing-ass car. I'm very good at this game. I'm guessing all the answers. So in the winters, I'd have to get into my freezing car, which I don't want to do because it's cold, and start it to warm it up. Because I want to get into a car. So you have to get in, sit down in the freezing car, press the clutch, and start and get back out. Why? There's another issue as well, which is... um associated to winter and, and having to get into a car. So if you had the misfortune of having one of those cars where you needed to press the clutch to start it and you, and, and yeah, to get you sit in the car as well. If you then had a car that had frameless windows, you had double the issue because frameless windows, by their very nature, the way that they work, uh, when you pull the door handle, the window drops by about a centimetre or so so that the glass doesn't tug on the way out. Oh, and then the, when you yeah. close it, the window goes, goes back, back up. up yeah. Right, because if the window stayed in its position, it would tug on the on the on the upper seal as it so came yeah, out, yeah. and then as it closed, it would it would it would bang on the on the seal as well mm-hmm. as it closed, and you're potentially going to be smashing your your window. Um, now, I'm sure many of you out there have tried to uh, roll a window down when it's freezing. Uh, it it just doesn't work, no. right? Uh, so if you had a car where you had to press the clutch to start it, which meant you had to get inside the car, first of all, you had to battle the window that may not drop. Yeah. And if by the way it didn't drop, but you managed to get your door open. You go get in. You 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 start your car. You can't close your door because the window hasn't dropped, and you risk 
damaging the window frame. So now you've got to sit there, you've got to start your car, um, you've got to wait till somehow it miraculously warms up whilst the door is open in winter. Um, it sat in your freezing cold car. You can't leave it, can you? I mean, you can't leave your car started and the door wide no, open. No. That's just yeah. never going to work. Um, so yeah, please stop doing that. Although no one makes manual gearboxes anymore anyway. Everything's automatic. I mean, before you come up with some innovative technology, why don't you just ask some of your consumers? Just say, guys, listen, we're thinking of doing this. What do you think? Yeah? At the end of the day, we're the ones that are going to drive them, or the general public are the ones that are going to drive them. Just because you're BMW or you're Audi or whoever, you think you come up with great stuff, you yeah. don't. Well, I think what I'm starting to realise is that the general public probably don't have any issue with any of the things that we've mentioned well, no, today. I think I'm it's just us. BMW. That's, uh, all, that's all they care about. I, I think even those that are, are car people have probably just gotten over it. I think it's just us. Yeah, I think well, we just hold on to this resentment for, oh. for, for no apparent reason. Maybe we're just grumpy. But it's for a genuine reason. How many times do we get into a car and, you know, car racing, and you just find so many impracticalities? Actually, that's another list that we've got. And uh, you, so that's another list that we've got of impracticalities, which I think people are overlooking for technology. Now it's, it's just like cars are becoming impractical to sit in and drive around and have a, like a road trip in now. Don't worry, eventually they'll all drive us around instead. Everything will become like the pods mm, at Heathrow. Mines won't, mine won't, no, no, no. Never, never, ever will mine ever drive me around. <laughs> I like to do my own driving. Thank you very much. And that, ladies and gentlemen, just about brings us to the end of our first show. It does. Thank you for, well, I'm going to thank ourselves for listening when we listen to it later. Yeah, first two listeners. Woo! Yeah, and then I'll get the rest. I'll probably force some people to listen to it or just put a review on there. But no, do thank you very much for putting up with us and I hope you guys liked it, enjoyed it. Yeah, um, so, so as I said, the, the, the four of you, if you are still listening, thank you very much for sticking with us. Um, if you did like it or even if you didn't, but at any point in this episode, if we made you laugh, we made you crack a smile, we made you uh, reminisce about a fond motoring related journey um, or, or, or made you question, the, uh, you know, what, why O is obsessed with rovers. Um, or even if you thought, who are these two idiots? Then please, please hop onto whatever platform you're using to listen to us right now and give us a, a five star review. If the platform has 10 stars, give us 10 stars. Just oh, give yeah. us the maximum Nothing rating. Less. And, and nothing less and leave a comment um, tell us what you liked tell us what you didn't like what you want us to talk about in the future um, I promise you you know doing that's only going to take you 30 seconds it's a really really small ask but we'd appreciate it massively yes please do I, I know it may not sound like it but we genuinely we do actually spend quite a bit of time planning these sessions and stuff so um, please if you can do that you can also follow us on our socials you can find us on Instagram at Drivel Podcast or on Facebook, which I think I've got to get up and running. So it will be up and running soon. But please, please do interact with us. Let us know what you do like, don't like. I may not change anything you don't like, but it's still nice to know. Um, <laughs> and please do let us know the stuff you like um, and get involved. You know, we just like I said, regular guys, a couple of regular guys here just doing something we enjoy, talking about stuff we enjoy. So please, please do get involved and interact with us. Absolutely. And until next time, drive safe. Drive fast. And uh, take care. Bye-bye.